Amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, hey, church, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 13. And if you don't, that's all right. You can look along on the screens with us this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And uh, today I'm going to do something I, I probably have told myself that I would never do. Uh, I'm going to preach a series on love in the month of February. Hallmark threatened me, so I have to do it. Uh, but today we're starting a new mini-series, if you will. So this will just be a quick three-part series called Love Without Limits. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at three parables of Jesus that have to do with loving God and loving others. But one thing that is interesting about these three parables we're going to look at in particular is they have something to do, each of them, with uh, an amount or, or something measurable, something quantifiable. And what I hope that we'll see over these next three weeks is that God calls us to love Him and to love others truly without limits. So, before we dig in, would you pray with me and let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Jesus, again, we are grateful to be here and we love you. But Lord, we know that our love for you can be limited at times. So, so Lord, would you help us to understand your word today? Would you speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, through the power of the word of God? Change who we are. Change the way we think first about you and then secondly about ourselves. Lord, help us cultivate a love in us for you and for other people as your word tells us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever wanted to, like you've wanted to love something, you've wanted to like this thing, but you just couldn't really bring yourself to love it as you thought you might? So, for example, if you go to a new restaurant that someone recommends and, you know, you like the ambiance and, and overall, you know, it's not a bad experience, but you leave and you think, you know, I just, I don't love it. I like it, I guess. It was okay, but I don't love it, right? So maybe somebody, this happens to me, you know, they'll, they'll recommend, oh, you should watch this show, you know, on Netflix or, or TV or whatever, right? And so you think, okay, well, I'll check it out. You know, you watch it and then you, and you're like, why did they like that? Like, that's not even that funny. It's not that good, right? Or, or a comedian, you know, people recommend comedians all the time. Or, this is a big one too. This happened a few years ago. So one of my favorite bands, they released a new album and I was like, eh, I don't love it. Like you got, just go back to your old stuff, right? What is this new stuff you're doing, right? I mean, you know, when you go to, well, it's like when you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, you're like, you want to hear the old songs, right? You don't want to hear any, anything new. Like we don't care about anything you've written in the last 20 years, dude. Like just play the old stuff, man. Come on, right? By the way, that, that's not who I was referring to as one of my favorite bands. But he's good. All right, so maybe, maybe though, right, the one thing that all of these have in common is, you know, they're good enough, right? They're good enough to spark our interest in checking them out, but, but you don't feel, you don't feel as if you have to have that thing in your life to be happy. So you, you're like, you know, I want to love this, but maybe I love the idea of this more than I truly love the thing. I'm afraid if we're all, every single one of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, 
that sometimes we may feel that way about God himself. What I mean is, maybe, maybe you know, like you know intellectually that you should love God more than you seem to see yourself doing. You, you know that you need more of him in your life and, and you want to love him more. You like the idea of loving him more and devoting yourself to him more, but maybe, maybe you just feel stuck. And so it's not that you don't necessarily want to love him more or know that you should, but there's just something inside of you that is keeping you, you feel that way at least, that, that it's just keeping you kind of in a spiritual rut, maybe a spiritual dry season. Maybe you see the apathy in your life. Maybe you observe your own spiritual laziness and lack of discipline and you don't want to stay there, but you feel stuck like your tires are spinning and you know, you know your love for God should be greater. But where do you even begin to address that? How do you grow in your love for God himself? Not, his, not the idea of God, not church or even just religion, but Jesus himself. How do you grow in your love for him? You know, one thing's for sure. We know that we are supposed to love God. God created us to love him. God created humanity to be in a relationship with him. In fact, get this, we are even commanded to love God by Jesus himself. Before we get to Matthew 13, I want you to look on the screens with me at Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, see, there's this situation where this, this lawyer, this person who's well-versed in the Old Testament law, he wants to kind of see if he can catch Jesus in a predicament here to test him a little bit. So he, he questions Jesus. He says, look at this, Matthew 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, he wants to know, hey, I've studied the law myself. I'm a lawyer, right? And so I, I know all the great commandments, but I want you to tell me which one is the greatest? Which one's the most important? Is there even an answer to that? Are they all equally valid? Look at verse 37 and Jesus. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus continues, he says, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is a pretty remarkable answer that Jesus gives. He summarizes the entire Bible in two commands. Love God, love people. But notice how Jesus says to love him and others. Look at the measure. Look at the amount that he describes. He says, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that. What does it mean to love somebody else like you love yourself? I mean, we love us, don't we? Your love for you is limitless. That's proven in the fact that at least, you know, there's, there's no one on earth that thinks about you more than you think about you. Even if you don't love yourself right now, for some reason, maybe you have low self-esteem, but you still are thinking a lot about yourself. So what is Jesus saying? 
He's saying love for him and love for your fellow humans should be total. It should be complete. It should be, in other words, without limits. Now, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at how to love others next week and the following. But today, before we get to that, we must look at what Jesus says is the first and the greatest command. Love for God. How can we love God? with all that we are, our whole entire being. Well, to help us think through that, this is what I want us to look at, a parable, a short illustration that Jesus told his followers in Matthew 13. So look with me in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. So this is kind of two short, quick illustrations together. They both have the same meaning. Jesus is teaching. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, in these short two illustrations, Jesus describes two men who who find something. Now, the first man wasn't necessarily looking for it, right? He just kind of stumbles across some buried treasure, which is really cool, right? I mean, that's awesome, you know? But this must have been some kind of treasure, right? I mean, think about it. Whatever was in this box that he found or this container or or buried there that was barely sticking out of the ground, he starts digging, he sees the rest of it. I mean, this is some kind of find here, right? Because he is willing to joyfully leave and he knows immediately what he must do. He must purchase this treasure, right? So, I mean, this is even better than antique roadshow. You know what I'm saying? Like it's whatever it is, he thinks he has to have it, right? He has to have this to live because he's willing to sacrifice everything else for it. So look what he does. He sells all of his possessions so he can buy that field and that treasure can be his and he does it joyfully. He doesn't even question it. You know, when his friends and family, you know, of course we're not told this, but when his friends and family, you know, when they find out what he's doing, they probably think he's crazy, right? Like, what do you mean you're selling the house? (laughs) What? What do you mean you're selling your donkey? What What are you doing, right? These These are things we need. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't know what I found. That's what I need. He doesn't care. It's worth it to him to lose everything else so he can gain that one treasure. He must have it. Same thing with the merchant, right? Except he was actually searching for a fine pearl, and one day he finds the one. He finds that one, one that is far greater in beauty and value than any other he's ever seen. And like the first man, what does he do? He sells everything else in his life so that he can possess this one, this one great pearl. So what's the application here? Guys, Valentine's Day is next week, right? Are you going to sell your golf clubs to get her that diamond necklace? (laughs) Yeah, me neither. All right. (laughs) No, that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Here's the question we must ask, right? What is causing these men to give up everything else so they can possess these treasures? What is it? 
It's love and it's value. Almost always, whatever is valuable to you personally is what you love. The two go hand in hand. So here we go. What is Jesus illustrating here? He begins, notice how he begins each of these short illustrations. What does he say? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. In other words, Jesus says, this is how we should feel about him and his kingdom. We should find him so valuable and love him so much that we are willing to give up everything else in order that we may have him. And so all of a sudden, everything else in our lives just doesn't seem to carry as much weight. Everything else, all of our possessions and all of our other thoughts and feelings and affections towards the things of this world, even our relationships, all those other things around us that we have built our lives upon up until this point, everything all of a sudden loses value because what we have found in Christ is more valuable than any of those things could ever imagine. But is that how we feel? When we talk about love, we talk a lot about how we feel, and that's not always a good gauge. But is that how we feel about God? Is that how you feel about Jesus and his kingdom? You know, like I said earlier, maybe you know. You know you should feel more love for God in your life, but for whatever reason, it's a struggle. And you're just not feeling it. And so what do we do about that? One of my favorite pastors and authors, J.D. Greer, pastors of church in North Carolina, gives some really great insight into this dilemma in his devotional called Gospel. And in reference to the command to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, he mentions that it was actually the great reformer Martin Luther who said that this tells us to do something we can't really be commanded to do. Think about that. Can you command someone to love something? He says, because if we love something... We don't need anyone else forcibly telling us to do it, like enjoying a steak, taking a nap, or watching football. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, you just described my perfect Sunday, right? Steak and football after church, maybe a little nap during the sermon at church, right? <laughs> All three, that's a great Sunday, there you go. But J.D.'s point is that no one has to tell us to enjoy the things we already love. But when we hear the command to love God with our whole life, maybe there's just a little bit of this feeling inside of us that says, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I even know what that looks like. So J.D. says, the command alone by itself is no more than a railroad track. It shows us where to go, but it's powerless to move the freight. So, so how do we motivate ourselves then to love God to such an extreme, exclusive extent? Well, that brings us to the one simple question and simple answer I want us to look at today. How do I love God without limits? I think the simple answer, and we're going to have a couple of subpoints here, but the main answer is this. Meditate on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. 
Greer says, love for God grows out of an experience with the love of God. True love is a response to loveliness. The more we see and dwell upon his love, the more we become loving ourselves toward him and others. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because why? Why do we love God? We love him because he first loved us. So do you feel spiritually stuck? Do you feel like your love for God is, is waning a little bit? Or maybe, if you're really honest, you have put limits on your love for God. In other words, what I mean is you want him in your life, but you're not willing to go all in. You're not sure that you're ready to take the leap and go all in and love him with all of your life. In other words, every component, every part of your life. Think about what that entails. I mean, the word all is comprehensive, is it not? All of your heart, soul, and mind, all of your life. That means all of your marriage, all of your parenting, all of your finances, all of your work, all of the extracurricular activities you do. Devoting those things and centering them around the one true creator of the universe who gave up his life for you. Do we feel that we can do that? Or have we neatly, subtly, suspiciously put little barricades, little limits in different compartments of our life to kind of keep a safe distance from a holy God who may not be satisfied with the way we're living? See, the remedy for this, the remedy for this barricading, this limit we put on our love for God is to rediscover, rediscover him as your treasure. How do you do that? You got to take time to dwell and meditate on who he really is. If you start further down the line at just the benefits or the things that you get from loving God, it's not going to work. You have to trace it all back to himself. We can't just fall in love with the things God gives us. Hey, God's gifts are great. But if we only love his gifts and not the gift giver himself, our hearts will never fully be devoted. We'll never love him without limit. So we must rediscover who he is. That's where it starts. If that's you today, if you're struggling to grow in your love for God, I want to give you Really just, hey, two practical things, two practical things, subpoints that to, to do that I think, I think the Lord really can use this in your life to reignite that flame, so to speak, inside your heart, all right? So number one is this. Listen, take some, take some time to study his attributes and character. I don't, I'm not saying you need to come become a theologian or anything. I'm just saying take some time to really think about and look in the scriptures at who God is. Imagine the merchant in the parable again, all right? He's in search of the most valuable pearl in the world, and then he finally found it. But think, think about what he probably did, right? When he picked up that pearl for the first time, what does he probably do? I would imagine he probably holds it up into the sunlight to see its true beauty to see its true characteristics. 
He would at that point probably have seen other pearls that are not as fine. And so even in comparison, maybe he had some with him. He would compare that great pearl to the others and see that its components and its attributes are far greater. We must do the same with God. We must take time to study and meditate and grow in our love for God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, by examining who He is, by intentionally becoming close to Him through His Word. You know, since moving to Florida three years ago, me and my family, you could say my interest in space exploration is growing. I think it's cool, right? I mean, you may not think it's that cool if you grew up in Florida and Jacksonville, but I think it's really cool that occasionally right? You can see one of the rocket launches like SpaceX or something. You can actually see them, you know, from your house here in Jacksonville. You can see them going up in the sky. So here, I've, I've been fascinated with that. Like I didn't grow up in Florida, so this is a whole new thing to me. And I think it's super cool. So not that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I find myself out in uh, my, my neighbor's driveway, actually, uh, in my pajamas, waiting to see the rocket launch. Like, hey guys, no big deal. I'm just, you know, watching SpaceX here. No big deal, right? I just want to get a good view. And here, here's the thing, right? It's, it's funny because all of a sudden, I'm, I'm doing things. I'm waking up early and I'm, I'm Googling rocket launches to see when they're happening so that I can go out there and see it because there's just something inside of me that's growing. It's an interest, a love, if you will, to know how these things work and where they're going and what they're doing. It's fascinating. You could say proximity and intentionality is really what's driving that, the context for that to grow. In other words, I used to live too far away to see it, and I was never intentional in seeking it out. If you put yourself in close proximity to God, through the Bible, through his word, that's how he speaks to us. And you discipline yourself with intentionality in looking in the Bible and getting to know what it's telling you about God, what God is saying about himself. If you proximity and intentionality, if you combine those things through the word of God and take time to read about who God actually is, let yourself be fascinated. Let yourself be blown away at his majesty, his glory, his infinite power, his infinite love, his infinite knowledge. It's all around. You know, if if you wonder, okay, well, how do I do that? Where do I go? Listen to Psalms. The Psalms are a great place to start with that. Just start in Psalm chapter one. Just open up Psalm chapter one and just read. It's incredible. It's incredible how much we learn about who God is and how it just begins to work in our minds and the Holy Spirit uses the truth, the letters and the words just start jumping off the pages into your heart as you really take time and you just slow down and you say, Lord, please reveal yourself to me right now in this moment. Speak to me. Show me who you are. Spend some time in the Psalms. They're just very poetic and beautiful in the way they describe God's attributes. Spend some time in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four historical accounts of Jesus's life. So guess what? They show us real life stories of 
the creator of the universe, God himself, Jesus, right? His character and compassion on display and demonstrated so you can know how to put the character of God to real life situations. How cool is that? What a great power we have at our fingertips sitting on your shelf or your nightstand or your coffee table at home just there waiting for you to dig in and rekindle rediscover the love not for the things God gives you but for God himself you really can't love someone you're not taking time to get to know can you I mean, if you're married, think about your spouse, right? How does your love for him or her really grow? By looking at who they are and rejoicing in their good qualities, their love, their compassion, their heart for the Lord, their heart for others. In a similar way, you must study the character of God to grow in appreciation for who he really is. We must keep coming back. We must keep coming back. The world is going to Pull you away. The gravitational, there's a gravitational pull, right? That society, the world, friends who don't know Christ, anything out there, whatever temptation it is, right? There's just going to be all these things pulling you away from that truth. So you have to discipline yourself and keep coming back to the infinite worth of the king himself who you realize is your greatest treasure and you cannot live without. But there's a second practical thing we must do. And this is most important. Marvel at his sacrifice and forgiveness. Marvel at his sacrifice and forgiveness for your sin. You know, both, both men in these illustrations represent those who are captivated by the good news of Jesus that leads us into his good kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is a place of eternal peace and eternal goodness where there is no sin or evil because guess what? Sin and evil have been done away with completely. They've been defeated. So in the kingdom of heaven, there is no corruption or violence. There is no suffering or disease. There is no anxiety or fear. It is only pure joy. It is only pure goodness. It is hard for us to imagine a place like that. But the only reason, you see, the only reason that we can even be a citizen of this eternal kingdom is because the king himself sacrificed his life in love for you. 1 John chapter 4, 9 and 10 describes this so well. John says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Isn't it, isn't it assuring to hear John say that? The basis of love is not that you have loved God well. No, it's that he loved us and sent his son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, sent Jesus to pay the penalty that we could not pay. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that every single human who's ever lived has not loved God with all their heart, all their soul, and all all their mind as we have been commanded. The command is clear. So God is not the problem. The problem is that we, as his creatures, have chosen to love other things. We have chosen to love his creation more than the creator himself. And that hurts the heart of God. But he's not a sick puppy who curls up in the corner and cries about it. He is a holy God. And so since we have violated his design for how we're supposed to live and and wrap our hearts and our lives around our creator and live in his good design for us, since we have all said, you know what, I think I'm going to do something else. I think I'm going to love something else. I think I'm not going to, I think I'm going to carry you along with me a little bit so that my reputation stays intact, God, but here's my limit. Since we are all guilty of that, here's the thing, guys. A perfect, holy God cannot live forever with sinful creatures like us. God is a good judge. A good judge punishes evil. He doesn't just let it skate free. God is a good and holy and just judge, so he must punish us for our sin. The penalty we deserve is eternal death, separation from him, not being able to love him forever because we chose not to love him now. The remarkable, amazing, beautiful, good news of human history is that God himself came to us to rescue us from this dilemma. He did that by doing exactly what John says here. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life of love that you and I will never, ever, ever be able to live. He did that for you as your substitute in your place. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty, the penalty that we acquired for our own sin. He took your sin on himself. So that should have been me. It should have been you on the cross. But Jesus said, no, I'll pay this penalty to the holy judge, God the Father. He said, no, put the blame on me. Put the shame on me. Put the guilt on me. Put the payment, the penalty on me. And so the beautiful news of the gospel is that as Jesus absorbs God's wrath, holy, righteous wrath against our sin, guess what we get in exchange? Pure love without any limit. The king, the king of the universe would do that. You see, if you feel like your love for God is not growing, you've got to take the focus off yourself, okay? You gotta stop thinking about yourself for just a moment and turn your heart's attention to the love of Jesus Christ who died and rose from the grave and stands now, stands 
and is seated on his throne in heaven over us saying, I am the king and I love my people. One final thing. It's worth noting that the response of each man in these parables show, it shows a true change of heart, does it not? Think about it. They're willing to give up everything, aren't they? Only someone whose heart has really been changed would behave this way. They are willing to give up everything for this treasure because they are, they are redirecting their love to the eternal instead of the temporary. And that is evidence. You see, salvation is not by us trying to convince God that we're worthy. You don't enter into the kingdom of God or a relationship with the king by convincing him that you're lovable. He knows that you are unlovable. And the way we act, the way we think, all the things we do. So, so Jesus is not looking for perfection. He is looking for repentance. He is looking for a turn, a redirection to him away from the things of the world. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3. Ben read this for us earlier in our worship. He said, Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, it's not us that comes from obeying the law, right, from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. What he's done for us, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We have all failed. That's the dark, gloomy news about this. Listen, yeah, we're failures, guys. We have all failed to love God without limits. No one here has loved God with all their heart, soul, and mind as we were designed to do. But I love what Jesus said in his letter to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2. Listen closely as we, we close with this. This is Jesus speaking to a church. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4, and the first part of verse 5, he says, but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I hope that that verse is comforting to all of us because I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that I have fallen. Have you not? I have failed to love God with all of my heart, mind, and soul countless times. But what Jesus says is comforting because he tells us you can redirect that. You can repent. That word simply means to turn away. To turn away from the things we thought we must have, the treasures and the pearls of this world, and turn around and turn to Christ to be our greatest treasure by meditating on who He is and what He's done for you. The Christian life is not about being a perfect person. We will never be until we enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Christian life is not marked by perfect love for God. It's marked by ongoing turning, ongoing repentance and pursuit of God as you rejoice in His love for you. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you walked in this room today struggling, struggling to find that love, that passion for God, you want it, you know you should have it. But for whatever reason, it's just not there as strong as you'd like. One simple encouragement. Take the focus off of the amount of your love and instead dwell on His limitless love for you. That is the key. That is the key. Dwell on what He's done for you, on who He is. Stop thinking so much about yourself. Put the attention and the energy on who He is. Meditate on who Christ is and what He's done by looking in His Word and marveling at His sacrifice and forgiveness for you. I hope that we can do this as we think over the next couple of weeks about how to love others, I want to be clear that we cannot love others well without loving God first. Only pure love for others will flow out of pure love for God. Otherwise, there will be improper motivation in the way we love others. But if in the way we love others is motivated, motivated by pure love for God, our love for them will be pure. And so we're going to discover that. We're going to look at that in two more parables over the next two weeks and see how truly we serve a God who loves without limits.